Creative Babble. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Through storytelling, interviews, and primary and archival research, The Fall Line introduces you to victims and survivors who don't make it onto primetime. Our interviews with families, experts, and investigators take you to dozens of locations all over the map. We'll discover why some cases fell through the cracks or were never investigated at all, and why others never got the news coverage that they deserved. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Something you said that really gave me chills was... And I'll quote, you said, I'm an expert on death. Few people have killed more than me. I understand what it means to extinguish a fire in someone's life. When that happens, there's no more opportunities. I mean, what did you mean by that? I think I meant exactly what I said. It was, I mean, like, when you kill a man, you take away everything he's got and everything he's ever going to have. And it's like you're robbing his future. Terrible thing. It's a, you know, it's a final thing. There's no, like I said, there's no reconstruction from that. Javier, did you know that everything he just said was from a movie? Yeah, he did mention that, but for a second there, I really thought he was being authentic. I thought he was being human. Yeah, it's from Unforgiven. It's one of my favorite movies. And as soon as I heard him say it, I knew that it came from that movie. It's a hell of a thing, killing a man. Take away all he's got. And all he's ever gonna so many parallels to the story. Yeah. Well, I guess they had it coming. Yeah, this is kind of a case of life imitating art. We all have it coming. While Bill wants to see himself as William Money, the main character of Unforgiven, but see, William Money was somebody who the killing that he had done weighed on him. And I just, I don't think Wild Bill is somebody who right now is just guilt-ridden from what he has done. And don't worry, you're going to hear plenty of our conversation with Wild Bill because we have several days of phone calls that we need to unpack. But today, let's focus on the man himself. Who is he? Where did he come from? And how did he end up in Panama? I'm John Taylor with The Twisted Podcast. And I'm Javier Leva with The Pretend Podcast. And this is season three of Criminal Conduct, an American serial killer in paradise. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So in the last episode, we heard a lot about Wild Bill Cortez, but who exactly is he? Yeah, his real name is William Dathan Holbert. And he was born on September 12th of 1979 in the mountains of Western North Carolina. I mean, his family owned and managed like a, a small orchard and a cattle ranch. He went to high school at North Hendersonville High in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And while he was there, I mean, he had a pretty unremarkable high school career or record, but he did play football and he was kind of one of the, the field captains or generals for the football team. And then apparently by the age of 18, he got married. And by the age of 22, he had three kids and he was running a local landscaping business. I mean, none of this sounds weird. I mean, he sounds like a normal guy. But don't worry, because his past will definitely turn darker. Hmm. Yeah, there are some sketchy things in Wild Bill's past. And one of them is his association with a group called the Southern National Patriots. Yeah, exactly. And that's like in early 2000s, 2003, 2005, that he was with this group that uh, kind of was like a militia, right wing, a little bit of hinting on the, the white supremacist element. Oh, he's more than just hinting. Here's a clip of Wild Bill from back in the day. Uh, spewing a little hate speech. They're breeding us out. They're taxing us to death. They're removing our jobs. And it certainly did not get a lot of uh, positive accolades from the community around him at the time. Our culture, we feel, is the pinnacle of achievement in Western society and has been destroyed for the last 100 years or so uh, after the Civil War. Yeah, and this group in North Carolina is pretty much non-existent now. It kind of dissolved after he left. Yeah, and there was there was something else that went on during this time. There is kind of speculation around the neighborhood that uh, that maybe Wild Bill took care of his dog, that his wife and he had a dog and the animal was perfectly healthy and then it just vanished. And most people in the neighborhood seem to think that Wild Bill probably killed the dog. Hmm. So we're talking about a potential serial killer here, right? But for most of his criminal life, Wild Bill was pretty much a classic con man. Yeah, he definitely just used his intelligence to manipulate people. And when he was still living in Western North Carolina, one of the things he did is he worked uh, with this couple who he was friends with and they owned a gym and he managed the gym. But he was using money, the, the gym's money, kind of as his own private checking account. So he was writing checks out of there and that didn't go over too well. But also while he was at this gym, there was a woman who was kind of cleaning the gym up and, and doing things of that nature. And her name was Laura Michelle Reese. And this is the woman who turned out to be, or when they went to Panama, that went by the name Jane Cortez. His meeting of Laura Michelle Reese, that, that culminated in a relationship of a sexual nature, and that ultimately resulted in his marriage breaking apart. So he has now this history of ripping people off, and now his marriage is failing. He's with this new girl named Laura Reese, who later, you know, we, we find out is Jane. So what else were you able to dig up on Wild Bill? 
So when he ends up getting divorced, uh, apparently he just wasn't making child support payments. And so he was held of contempt of court, supposedly owed like $12,000 in back child support. He was sentenced to uh, you know some days in jail. But at this point, it seems like he just kind of left the area and just kind of bounced around a little bit. And there's... Uh, there's some records that he was out on the coast in North Carolina. And one of the things he did there was he forged a deed and a title to a house and then sold that house to an individual. So he didn't actually own the house, but he sold it and he was able to collect $200,000 from the individual. While Bill and Laurie show up at this empty beach house that doesn't belong to them, and then they tried to sell it? Actually, they were able to sell it. Yeah. So they, they pretty much come in and say, Hey, we're, you know, I'm a doctor and I need to get out of here and I want to sell it quickly. And he convinces somebody to buy it for below market value. And he gets $200,000 from the guy and just walks. Yeah. And here's, here's a real kicker. So this guy thinks he bought this beautiful beach house for a steal, right? <laughs> and months later, the real owner shows up to her beach house and she finds this guy renovating it and she asks him, who are you? And he's like, I own this house. And by the time everyone figured out that they were scammed, Wild Bill and Laura Reese were gone. So now they're heading west in a stolen car with fake IDs and they're traveling state to state. While crossing Wyoming, they were stopped by a highway patrolman. And when the trooper walked back to his car to run their license, he found their alias in the system and figured out that they were wanted in North Carolina. And as the officer gets out of his car, Wild Bill takes off. There's actually audio from the police cruiser. Bring it behind you. Stop right now! You should see this video. Wild Bill and Jane were in their SUV, pretty much a high speed chase. And then the the road just went on forever without any obvious exits coming, right? And so what did Wild Bill do? Well, he swerved right and started driving straight up a hill. And there was no way this trooper could go after him. And we're going up the hill, off road, exit one. So they got out of their car and just ran away. Yeah, at that point, I mean, they got nothing to lose at this point. I mean, they're wanted. They know they're going to go to prison if they get caught. So they might as well run. So he eludes law enforcement at that point. And from there on, he pretty much has to lay low because everybody's looking for him. He appears on an episode of America's Most Wanted. And his time in the United States, at least as his actual name, are, are coming to an end. So he's already forging deeds of titles and, and scamming people out of their homes. So this is kind of like his training ground before he hits the chain of islands in Panama, right? Yeah, because it wasn't long after this that he's a wanted man. So William Holber and Laura Michelle Reese had no place to hide. So they just packed their bags, most likely with the $200,000 that they stole from the beach house scam hopped on a cruise and never stepped foot in America again. And that's how they became Wild Bill and Jane Cortez. So remember Cheryl Hughes, a missing American expat? No one had heard from her again and family and friends were getting concerned. But before we talk about that, why don't we talk about who she was and how she ended up in Central America? I spoke to one of her family members. Her name is Mary Whitmore, and she's actually Cheryl's aunt. Let's talk about Cher for a second. Who who was Cher? She's stunningly beautiful. Have you seen any pictures of her? 
I'm only five years older than Cher. I'm her aunt, but I'm only five years older. So she was quite a firecracker. She could make money. She was beautiful, but she was also very smart. And um, not educated, but smart. And so she took this little sign business and uh, blew it up to a million-dollar company. She counted her nickels and made them into dollars. She was always a lot of fun, but she never lost a dime. <laughs> well, then along came Keith Worley, her husband, and they fell in love, and she decided, I spent enough time working and making money. So Cheryl and Keith took off sailing and ended up in a chain of islands called Bocas de Doro. And said, hey, this is a great place to live. And they fell in love with the place. In fact, they ended up buying some property, which they later turned into a hotel. So that's how they ended up in Panama. Did you ever go visit her out in Panama? Oh, yeah. I went a number of times. There, I think the first time my mother and I went, Cher and Keith met us at the airport with this huge bouquet of flowers. And what was it like? I mean, it sounds like a beautiful place. It was paradise. Oh, my gosh. It was just absolutely wonderful. She showed us all around and walked around Bocas del Toro. And, and then I went a few more times by myself. It was just um, latitude, longitude. I mean, to, you couldn't get there at night. And only Keith could find it during the day because he's such an excellent sailor. So that was that was out in the, way out in the water. And that's where Wild Bill lived a mile from them across the water. Cheryl and Keith moved to Panama to build their future together, but eventually their relationship fell apart. Both of them live on the edge. They're both characters, you know, busy. Let's keep, let's do this, let's do that. Well, when it's great, it's great. And when it's not, it's not. With the distance, it was not immediately obvious that there were problems between Cheryl and Keith. Thanksgiving, Cher came to my house and that came without Keith, and that was the first. So she knew then things weren't, weren't good. Something about this doesn't make sense because Cher had big plans. She wanted her sister Judy to move to Panama with her. Judy had just sent uh, Cher a thing. I just bought my airplane ticket. Woohoo, I'll see you May 1st. And she did not get a response. And if you think about it, in November, it's Thanksgiving, she doesn't show up with Keith. So that was November, she was at my house, November, December, January, February, March. And then by March, she's missing. She was murdered four months later. So, John, let's break down the events that led up to Cher's disappearance. Yeah, so she was hanging out with a friend and while Bill came up to her and he kind of just like rudely interrupts the two of them and he takes Cher aside and they end up going off together in a boat. And the implication of that was that they were going to look at Cher's house so that while Bill could purchase it. 
And of course, Cheryl was never seen again, but I'm sure Wild Bill and Jane had a perfect explanation for all of this, right? Right, yeah. Anybody that came around, you know, both Wild Bill and Jane Cortez were telling people that Cheryl had to get out of town in a hurry, that she had like a nervous breakdown and just sold him the house. But of course, they had all her, her belongings, all her possessions, and Wild Bill even had her iPod, which seemed a little personal for somebody to leave behind. Yeah. So take this story in isolation. I would imagine that it would be easy to come up with a simple conclusion as to why Cheryl went missing, right? I mean, she just broke up with her husband. I mean, surely you didn't jump to conclusions that there's this con artist serial killer out there, right? Well, that's what almost drove me mad, seriously. Because everybody was like, oh, he killed her to get her money. And I'm like, and I, you know, I, and there's a lot I don't know, and there's a lot I do know. And I know Keith was, because Keith was calling me, too, going, have you heard from her? What's going on? I can't find her. So he and I were speaking way before we thought she was seriously missing. And so I knew in my soul he had nothing to do with it. But immediately, the you know, the local police must have thought, oh, okay, the husband did it. I had family members convinced that he did it and that way we can get her money. There are people in this world who are simple-minded who want a simple explanation. It's going, no, Keith didn't do it, but we can't find her, so what the hell? So in your gut, there's no way Keith would have done this, right? That's just, that's just not the guy you know. They had an amicable breakup. I mean, for you, it just didn't add up. So what do you do next? Like, what happens now? Yeah. Well, I probably phoned every friend she had in Boca del Toro or texted them. I probably went through 50 people um, trying to find her. She was at a restaurant with the whole crowd. And a an associate, a friend, I don't know who, had sailed in. And apparently he says to her loud enough, hey, share." I'm sailing out tomorrow. You want to go with me? And she's like, yeah, sure. I'm coming. Ha, ha, ha. She, she wasn't about sailing. She was about the destination. You know, John, we keep saying that that was the last time anyone had heard from Cheryl, but that's not true, right? Well, Mary was receiving text messages from Cheryl's phone. And so they were they were coming from her phone, but she was very skeptical of what, what, what was being said because they were saying things like, you know, don't worry about me. And she put in there that she met a guy and went off on a sailboat with him. And, and Mary, that just struck her as odd because she said that the chair didn't care at all about sailboats. So little conversation that apparently somehow got back to Holbert. But, oh, yeah, share which sailing with some guy which was just, he picked up a piece of truth and then put it on a text saying, I would say it with this guy. So at any moment, did that feel like maybe that was true? Or did you just always know in your gut that that wasn't true? Oh, I'm telling you, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., it would be 20 different emotional uh, high points. You know, one minute is, damn it, when I find you, I am going to kick your butt. You know, what are you doing? Because I'm thinking, well, did she go to some spa and have, you know, Botox and she's just chilling? Did she really meet some guy? And then I'm like, oh, my God, has she been kidnapped and she's some sex slave on, 
you know, the back of somebody's garage. I mean, you, you just couldn't make sense of any of it. And your mind simply does not say, oh, yes, she was murdered. You just justify that. You will not accept it. Mary was just trying to piece together the various tidbits of information she had about Cheryl's whereabouts and what may have happened to her. Did you ever know that she was talking to William Hobart about selling her property? Um, I knew he wanted to purchase it, but I knew she was nowhere, no way going to sell that property. She knew the investment she had. She loved it down there. And she and her sister were talking about okay, what can we do to make this property profitable? So, yeah, she had big plans for the island. She, there was no way she was going to sell it. Yeah, well, I knew when I called, which, of course, we didn't know his name at the time. When I called him, I know this sounds crazy, but after the conversation, I got on my knees. I knew I had spoken with the devil himself. Because when I first spoke to him, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm in Boca Del Toro. And uh, Cher sold me her house and her property. And I said, well, I'm in Texas. And all of a sudden, he slithered into another character. All of a sudden, he was from Texas. He had a little bit of a draw. And he went to a high school down in, uh, I forget the name of the town, Green, Texas. And he knew all these places. And I'm like, what? This is crazy. But I let him talk. But I, I knew he was lying to me. He thought I was this simple-minded old lady. So he told me all kinds of things. And I just wrote them down and relayed them to the um, FBI. But I knew in that first conversation I was speaking to evil. So at this point, you're putting the pieces together? Yeah. I mean, I, his Naive as this sounds, you simply couldn't believe she'd been murdered. But I knew he was a bad guy. I knew he was evil. And the one time he goes, yeah, come on down. I'll take you around and we can look for her. And then he kind of smirked, snarled, you know, ha ha, you're not going to find her, but I'll help you look for her. Guy, He is bad. He is bad news. And did Keith ever confront him? Oh, many times. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, this guy threatened to kill Keith a number of times. I mean, he texted Keith and said, you MF, I'm going to kill you. So now you're kind of circling in on him, right? Right. I have a feeling that because you and Sharon got together, that that's when this thing started to pick up some steam. The FBI told me I needed to call Sharon McConnell because she and I had the same information from from the bad guy. Sharon McConnell was Bo Eisler's friend, the American expat who allegedly sold his property to Wild Bill and then went missing shortly thereafter. From everything I've heard, Cheryl sounds like a really happy person, at least from the exterior. But was she going through some dark times at that time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Keith is the love of her life, and he's screwing around. So any woman who's going through that, you know, has dark days. She was mad at him, but she she wasn't suicidal. She wasn't dangerous. She was pissed. But I guess for Wild Bill, he could he could sense that, right? I mean, he could see that this woman is kind of down in the dumps. Her husband's gone. She has a great property. She lives a mile away. I mean, it makes it makes sense, right? He was a vulture. He was a vulture. He knew a victim when he saw one. 
but just like the 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 man with the wife and the son, he just zoomed in and killed him. You know, and that guy was apparently a bad guy. He was on the run from the law in the United States. So I don't like the premise that maybe she was weak and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. She was weak and vulnerable, but she was not stupid. No, no. Yeah, I, I wasn't trying to imply that. I just don't think that anybody would see a serial killer coming for them. You know, it's just not the first thing you think of. It, it just doesn't happen in most people's lives. So it's not even something that you even consider. He killed indiscriminately. He killed a whole family, a kid, a Vietnam vet. He killed a woman. I mean, it wasn't like he was praying after a specific kind of person, right? Yes, exactly. Wow. So so now you talk to Wild Bill. Keith has talked to him. You know this guy's dangerous. You connect with Sharon. And, and so how do you guys escalate this? I have been calling the embassy going, I don't know nothing, and... Uh, she wants to call you, she'll call you, and we can't do nothing. So that's what I was dealing with at the embassy. So I flew in, um, and actually flew in, and on July 12th, so we went from the attorney general's office to the prosecuting attorney's office. And he was, that guy had the lights on. He knew exactly what was going on. And he allowed us to change the status from missing person to criminal investigation homicide. That opened the floodgates. We were finally being taken seriously. We realized at that point, the most important thing that they could use was the fact that Holbert owned and fired an AK-47. And they said, aha, that AK-47 is an illegal weapon here in the country of Panama. Keith knew he had it, but he hadn't seen him shoot it. That gave the detectives the key to kick open his front door and do a search. And it, it almost sounds like something out of a movie, right? To think that you and Sharon were the ones that put a stop to this, because I can't imagine like, what would have happened if you wouldn't have intervened. You know, like how many people would have died? How many people would he have murdered? I mean, he was going to continue. He wasn't going to stop her. That's precisely correct. And why do you think he got away with it for so long? Americans go to tech to Panama because they're hiding out. So you're a drug dealer and the cops are on you. You owe your wife too much money in alimony. So you're either not wanted or you're wanted. And so those are people who have no family, no connection. So they're not missed when they go missing. Yeah, and that's sad, right? But I think he he made a mistake with Bo and Cher. Yes, exactly. And that's that's it. Bo had had Sharon, and Cher had Cher had me plus Keith plus you know all of her friends in Boca del Toro. He wasn't going to get away with it after killing her. He just killed the wrong girl. So, Javier, the police go and they search Wild Bill's property where he had the Jolly Rogers Social Club. And while they're searching it, they find Cheryl Hughes' passport and credit cards. But that's not all they found, right? They also found dozens of other passports. I mean, God knows why he had so many passports with him, but it doesn't look good, right? Could these be more victims? Yeah, it certainly opens up the possibility that there could be more victims that we don't know about at this point. 
two of the workers on the property told police that Wild Bill asked them to dig two holes, three to four feet deep and six feet long. They end up finding five bodies in these shallow graves. And not far from those shallow graves was the sign that read, only 90% of our members survive. How creepy is that? Yeah, and in retrospect, because you think it was just kind of like a funny saying, but in light of somebody who has killed multiple people, or multiple people at least have been killed on this property, uh, it just really begs the question as to whether that was meant to be a serious sign or not. Right, and police say that when they were searching the property, they found a glass jar with gold teeth that could possibly belong to the victims. Okay, so we need to ask Wild Bill about this. Yeah, so I'm kind of, I, I really want to hear his answer on this. And I feel like this is one that if he denies it, then I can pick apart his answer. Because here, I, I kind of call bullshit on this, though. It does sound like that's what they found. Because one, I just don't know how much gold. I want to ask this dentist that it works out at my gym. How much gold is actually in a in a gold tooth or a gold filling? Is it really worth taking? Like, would you really make money off that? No. Or is it going to be like, it's $25? Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's one thing I want to find out. Maybe they could tell that it was taken out beforehand. That's the other thing you got to ask him is if he does admit to it, did he take them out while they were still alive? Yeah. So we have five bodies on Wild Bill's property, but Wild Bill and Jane Cortez are gone. They took off and their pictures are all over Panama and they're being pursued by the FBI. Next time on Criminal Conduct, we're going to dive deep into the conversation I had with Wild Bill. Do you remember killing them, like actually killing them, or is that something that... I don't that... think about it. I'll tell you something, I, that was something that I didn't have a stomach for at all, I and mean, I did it, but I didn't have a stomach for it. It wasn't something I was like, yay, I get to go kill somebody. It was like, fuck, I gotta go do this shit. I'm, I'm speaking honestly with you about it. I mean, it's it's not something that I ever enjoyed doing. If you enjoy killing people, something's fucking wrong with you. You know what I mean? Like, you got a real problem. That's next time on Criminal Conduct. A special thanks to our executive producer, Advertise Cast, and to Ruby Rose Fox for allowing us to use her song, Bury the Body, during our intro. Her music is available anywhere you can purchase music. If you enjoy the podcast, find us on social media at Criminal Con. And please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. And make sure to listen to our other shows. John Taylor hosts the Twisted Podcast, and I, Javier Leva, host the Pretend Podcast. Creative Babble.